Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. In this week's episode, we are continuing our short formatted episodes where we pick one of the high level topics that we were especially interested in based on the last two part conversations. In this week's episode, we are zooming in on a topic called cognitive linguistics. This idea was introduced to us by our previous guest, Jack Knipe. He has a PhD in international education and linguistics. So before we go deeper into this topic for this short episode this week, I'd like to quickly promote our most recent project. We recently launched a new project newsletter where Aiden, as the curator of this newsletter, he consolidates and collects some of the podcasts, some of the books, some of the quotes, or whatever relevant information that we're observing for that week. And it is our attempt to, in a very succinct manner, to share it with the listeners. Many of our listeners have already subscribed to it and found it very, very useful. So we would definitely love you to subscribe to our newsletter if you want to be updated with what we're both reading, what we're both sharing and discussing, and as one of our extended efforts to continue to discover more. Uh, Aiden, if you want to briefly talk about what the newsletter entails. Definitely. Yeah, I think the newsletter continues in the same ethos of these mini series, and it's basically to unpack the complex topics that we talk about in conversation in a very succinct and short format element. So like Ben mentioned, we just share resources. It's music we're listening to, articles we're reading, really anything that we find interesting or entertaining. And the newsletters go out every Tuesday afternoon. And if you're interested, you can easily apply. There's a link in our Instagram bio, and you can also just shoot us a message of your email, and we'd be happy to put you on the list to join the community. In addition, if you still haven't subscribed to our show on whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to our podcast, please officially subscribe and follow, as that is the best way to stay updated with our weekly releases on Monday. So in our last episode with Jack, he introduced us to the academic version of an idea that we've been thinking a lot about. And the subject that he studied was cognitive linguistics. And the way that we've thought about it is just being hyper intentional with the words that we're saying and at the same time, the thoughts that we're thinking about. 
And we started thinking about what messages we were conveying on the podcast a lot. And while thinking through, talking through a lot of these ideas, it really brought me back to one of the first books I ever read, at least in kind of this self-development nonfiction space. And that's The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's one of my favorite books to date. I try and read it once a year. Highly recommend anyone to checking it out. The first agreement he writes is be impeccable with your word. And I'll read this directly from the inside cover, but he describes be impeccable with your word as speak with integrity, say only what you mean, avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. So it's very straightforward, very specific, but ultimately the words that we use create the worlds that we live in. So he basically brings a light to the power that our words actually have over our lives. And that idea has really brought a light to the way that we think about cognitive linguistics. So to have Jack on the show and tell us about it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And Jack's actual background is in linguistic as a whole, but obviously there are different branches of linguistic. And in this specific episode, we want to dive a little bit deeper into cognitive linguistic. But I do want to say that neither of us are neuroscientists, neither of us are cognitive linguists. However, we both do share and we both subscribe to the power of language and how the impact of our linguistic choices have direct and indirect impact on how we perceive and prescribe the world. But most importantly, the impact of it has on our minds, which is what the ethos of cognitive linguistic is. So uh, on that topic, I also want to introduce a similar field that's uh, around the same idea. It's actually called neuro-linguistics. And in a very high-level summary, neuro-linguistics is about the impact of language on how we perceive our world. So for example, the power of affirmations, right? And I think we all, many of us understand affirmations are very important, whether it is done externally to others or when it is done internally to ourselves. Versus like, for example, whether it's self-affirmations or when we're affirming other people for what they do. If you look at a lot of study and data on this, on the power of affirmations on a neurological level, when another person's brain is going through like a scan after they've been complimented by or been affirmed by the others, there is actually a neurological phenomenon and there is some neurological changes solely based on the affirmations that are just depicted to them and to ourselves. So what that means is that everything we say, everything that is set to us, everything we share, similar to Don's idea of being impactful with our words, we truly can't underestimate how our everyday choices of languages, everyday choices of linguistic choices have far reaching consequences than what we previously thought. And that is one of the many intentions and reasons why we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic for this episode. That's really well said, Ben. I think a practical example that I have is having to do something or getting to do something. And that, I feel, is something that almost everyone talks about, whatever your day's responsibilities are, whether you have to go to work, whether you have to go work out or go to sleep at a certain time. But just that basic reframe of have to to get to then implies kind of like an underlying gratitude because you're able to go to a job, able to get to bed early or move your body in a way that lights you up. But it's a basic reframe of just two words and has an entirely different connotation, both to the way that you feel about it yourself and then to other people as well. 
So say I'm talking to Benoit, and instead of saying, oh, I have to wake up at 5 a.m., I say, I get to wake up at 5 a.m. Just that slight pivot is a new optimistic lens that you get to look through, right? Like what else is possible if you have the blessing or the privilege of waking up at that time? It's not a no longer an obligation, but rather an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. As I was hearing you sharing that, Aiden, analogy comes to my mind. I think in terms of like an artist or a painter, whenever they decide what to use to paint whatever they want to paint, a deciding factor is the tool or the paintbrush they use to paint, to translate what they think in their mind into reality. And I think that's how the power of language is, or the power of words. The words and the language are the main toolkit that we have. It is the main paintbrush that we have to describe not just external realities, to describe not just what we see, what we experience, our traumas, our stories, our experiences. But most importantly, it is in a way the only tool that we have to describe our internal realities unto the others. Even as a like polyglot myself, similar to Jack, who speaks nine languages, it's literally impossible for either one of us to try to describe the conditions of the world that we live in without using any of the languages we know. So it doesn't matter how many languages you speak, language at its foundation is all we have to describe what we want to describe. And I think that is the reason why we brought about the book for agreements, because as a first principle and the first agreement, being impeccable with your words is that important, is we have to be impeccable because at the end of the day, when we're facing uncertainties and unknowns, only truth prevails. So this is the reason why NLP or neuro-linguistic programming has gradually become more popularized within the even therapy space, psychotherapy space, and it's been using and being more popularized as a therapy modalities. Uh, maybe less about the psychoanalysis aspects, but how can we study the mind? How can we study the intersectionalities of our mind and the world? And language is the bridge in between. So two questions that I would like to pose for listeners to think about is, how intentional are you being with the words that you're bringing to life in your everyday? Because I know in my life, there's a lot of days where I just get caught in conversation and go back to old slang and I'm not really intentional with the words that I'm putting out into the world. And I think just bringing an awareness or an intention to those ideas is a really powerful first step. And then a similar question that I'd like to pose over to Benoit is, in what ways can language be empowering or disempowering? You know, what are the elements that may construct a positive and maybe beneficial use of language? or a negative or harmful use of language, kind of this whole ethos that we're talking about with this cognitive linguistics lens that we're talking about today. Yeah, great question. And yeah, I do also like to echo him and urge everyone to take a moment, maybe pause this episode and think about how is your daily choices of language and linguistic impacting you intentionally and unintentionally throughout your life? Because like I said, both fields of study within neurolinguistics and cognitive linguistics both state that your language choices impact you and everyone around you, whether you want them to or not. And that is a fact. So to answer your question, Aiden, I think an example from the last episode comes to my mind is people first language. And as Jack alluded in the episode, people first language is a very intentional decision and a very intentional act. So, for example, in the autism world, kids with autism are known as children with autism. 
versus the outdated version of oh, autistic child. Because, and here's when intentionality shines through, and it is the utmost importance. Because by placing the child before the autism, it shows that, oh, he or she is a child with autism. That means his or her autism does not define who they are. Because everyone's identity is comprised of many different facets and many different lanes. So by saying, oh, he or she is an autistic child, that means you're labeling the entirety of their identity as autistic, which is very unfair because there's so much more nuances and context, so many more backdrops and stories into who their child is. And that's one example that we want to highlight here again since the last episode is because your intentionality really, really matters with the linguistic choices and the language that you use. But even deeper than that is even without your intention, your language still shapes your internal reality and therefore affects the external realities. Because oftentimes, external realities are merely a reflection and mirroring image of our internal realities. So this is the reason why we think this episode is very important for anyone who've never heard about these fields of studies, but the science is there. It's overwhelming. So yeah, we definitely would like to urge people to think about these concepts. Yeah, definitely. And I think I want to introduce a example that is really close to my heart because I've worked extensively with a coach around it. It was introduced to me about four months ago and really has reshaped the way that I think about my decisions and I guess how I approach the world. And the whole idea is just eliminating the word should from vocabulary. Most listeners have heard the idea of like shoulding on one another. So ultimately framing what we think someone should do onto what they think their course of action might look like. So the whole concept here is that should is a toxic word because every time we say the word should, it's giving our power away. Rarely is should based in what we actually want to do or what is actually right for us, but rather what society thinks we should do, what our parents think we should do, what the school system thinks we should do, right? Every time that the word should is used, it's an external frame of power or an external reference to that decision-making process. And learning this was pretty massive for me because it just made me think about why I was making my decisions. Was it externally focused because I should do something or thought that that was the way that society would like it to look like, but rather replacing should with want to or don't want to was really the key that my coach taught. So anytime you find yourself saying the word should, this is an ongoing practice that I have as well, trying to replace it with want to or don't want to. And in the past three months of doing so, I found an enormous amount of clarity around what I actually do want to be doing and don't want to be doing. I'd like to encourage anyone listening to think about that as well, because if we're being unconscious with our speech, should can be one of the most used words in the English language. And replacing that with want to or don't want to ultimately both creates clarity and change that really represents what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think should is definitely the choice of word that gets me into most trouble uh, in my in my relationship because uh, I'm very type A, I'm very analytical. I like to present sets of data, sets of information, sets of facts to support my arguments, to prove a point. And after I put my points, I enter what Adam Grant in his book, Think Again. Uh, Adam Grant is a very prominent organizational psychologist. He's a youngest tenure professor at University of Pennsylvania Wharton Business School. In the book, he states that most of us 
operate from two different modes. Mode number one, preacher mode. That's when we are preachy. That's when we want to tell things. Oh, oh, you should do this. You should do that. Because we want to impose what we think is right. We want to impose our moral judgment onto the others. Because, of course, none of these are ill-intended. All these are coming from uh, a good place, a place of love. Because we want to empower our friends. We want to empower our network, our family. So, oh, Aiden, you should do this. Because I know this is good for you. But like what Aiden alluded earlier, saying that even with the good intention, the impact is still there. And you're still imposing your metrics, what you think is correct onto the other's actions. And at the end of the day, we're different people. We all live by different truth. We all have different timeline, different progress. Um, and the other mode that Adam Grant talks about is prosecutor mode. That's when we want to prosecute others based on their actions. We want to prosecute other people's idiosyncrasies based on our value judgments, based on what we think is correct. And Adam Grant urges us to operate from the third mode, which is the mode of scientist or curiosity mode, is just simply asking more questions. But yeah, so in my relationship, I always say should. And obviously should has become a trigger for my girlfriend, Becky, because anytime I say should, she shuts down because she understands that I'm trying to impose what I deem as correct onto her. But that's very dehumanizing because I'm not being considerate towards her truth. And whether it's romantically or not, I think in terms of any relational network and any relationship, it's not our place to either prosecute or judge. Because as Adam Grant states beautifully in his book, prosecutors and judges, they belong in the courts, not in this world. So I think should is something that's very important and another book I read a while ago is called Nonviolent Communication. And in the book, it states, never use the word but. It's the same ethos and token as stop shooting someone, just like don't butt someone in the face. I think we all have this tendency to, I think, seemingly acknowledging what the other person is saying, but we can't wait to rebuttal them and to dispute them with our own sets of information or facts. So that's when you say, oh yeah, Aiden, I agree with you, but... Oh yeah, I, I, th I think you have a good point, but, and anytime another person hears the word but, everything you said is become meaningless and obsolete. You're literally denying another person's entire statement, entire belief system. So for me, the biggest two words and the cognitive linguistic areas that I want to work on is definitely the word should. I also want to eliminate should from my life and my dictionary. And the other word I've been working on since I read nonviolent communication is the word but. It's really interesting you bring up that idea because I just heard of it this past week for the first time as well. And it's the same concept as the but in reference to apologies. So I forget who I was listening to, but they say that an apology that's followed by but doesn't count as a true apology. The I'm sorry, but, or I apologize, but this, but that. And that really made me think because an apology isn't true if there's a qualifier to it, right? An apology is, I'm sorry, that's the end of the story. There is no but. There is no additional thing on top of that. So I think that's a really important point that you made. And I would encourage people to think about it a little bit. And looping back onto the prosecutor versus judge kind of idea. And by no means are we being prosecutors with this type of episode, but rather trying to inspire you to be curious around 
what some of these ideas might be looking like in your own lives, how you're using your language, how you may be able to use language in a better way. And the only one that can determine what is better is yourself. So just posing some of these big questions and trying to hone some intention around the way that language is used in our everyday lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the many timeless debates that's been ongoing is the idea of intention versus impact. And obviously, we won't talk much about this since we've preached about this or we've shared about this throughout our ongoing show. But I do want to say that with language and linguistic, it's both. It's both the intention and the impact. And I think language is one of the very few things and few fields in this world because everything is gray. Most things are relative. But I think in terms of the language we use, it can be absolute, both externally and internally. And that's why it's so much more powering to understand this notion, understand the field of cognitive linguistics or neurolinguistics, because most people say things in passing and most people do share things that's on top of their thoughts, their minds, without much consideration for the impact. But we do want to say that gradually over time, linguistic has far-reaching consequences. And many of those impacts are very absolute in terms of how we construct our worldview, how we construct our internal mind, our own reality. So that's the reason why we wanted to take the intention and take this time to devote this week's short episode and zooming into, into Jack Knipe's episode 73 and on the topic of cognitive linguistics. Absolutely, Ben. And I think as we're coming to a close here, we'd really like to A, thank listeners for listening if you made it this far, and B, encourage once again to check out the newsletter. This week specifically, we'll be diving into resources, videos, articles, all things around this idea, around being intentional with speech, around cognitive linguistics, and we're really going to provide as many resources as we can to try and solidify some of these ideas that we've talked about today. And again, you can subscribe to the newsletter with either the link in our bio or direct messaging us. So, And as always, we always include all the books, the references, some high-level summaries about what cognitive linguistics is and what neurolinguistics is and the different therapy modalities around those things to anyone want to do more on research and discover more on your own terms. And as always, we really appreciate you listening and joining us on this week's episode of Discover More. And as always, we hope to see you next time and thank you for discovering more with us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.